Hey everyone, welcome back to the M&M Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. Along with me is my co-host, Chase McCallum. And this week, we got a busy, busy slate of news. Uh, also, I want to say just quickly, thank you for, for all the support last week. That was a really, we really enjoyed having Jesse on and uh, you guys seem to enjoy it as well. So thank you for, for all the support on that. Um, this week's been pretty busy, Chase. There's been... Um, a decent amount to talk about. There's a lot of topics that just kind of have been going on through the week. And uh, I, I guess we'll start with uh, the Ottawa Senators. They were in the news for a couple of different things. And uh, we'll start with the bigger thing. And that was uh, had to do with the Toronto Maple Leafs as well. It was 5-1 is the slogan. Not it was 4-1. It was 5-1. Uh, I'm sure everyone's seen it by now, but the Ottawa Senators scored five unanswered to beat the Toronto Maple Leafs 6-5 in overtime on Monday night. Uh, after being down 5-1 with about a minute left in the second period, they get one right before the end of the second, get one right at the start of the third, get another one halfway through the third, and then one with about two minutes left in the third period. Just uh, an epic collapse by Toronto. Um, it, it was kind of funny to, to watch. Uh, I mean, as it always is, it was funny to me to watch uh, Leafs Twitter just burn to the freaking ground for 24 hours. This was an embarrassing loss, yes, but uh, whatever, you know? Like, this is kind of one thing that, like, yes, it, it is, it's hilarious, it, it's embarrassing, but it also happens, you know? Yeah, now, to this, like, um, it depends how you look at it. Like, the Leafs were going to lose games to the Senators. There's a lot of people that just assumed they were going to beat the Senators, like, every single game this season, and that was going to happen. And that was never going to happen. Like the senators were always going to beat the Leafs this season, but it's just so very Toronto that it happened this freaking way. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, don't get me wrong. It was hilarious. And like, honestly, I, I can't remember being that invested into a game since like 2017, probably. Like I literally, when they scored the overtime winner, just screamed like I would have when they, they won the playoff playoff game. Um, it's, it's honestly like one of those things where, it's funny because this was an embarrassing loss, but this wasn't even the most embarrassing in a calendar. I don't even think this was the most, the second most embarrassing loss in the calendar year. Like one is Zamboni driver. The What's David two? Aries, the, the David Aries one's the worst, but then they blow like a three goal lead to Columbus in the play in round as well. Or uh, like, I'm pretty sure game, game three, they choked a game. They did choke a game, if I remember correctly. I remember their comeback more. I would say their com- their comeback in game four was unreal because that was just massive. But uh, game three, no, 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 I don't want to let load up highlights, NBC. Um, uh, Dubois, Blue Jackets rally past uh, Maple Leafs in game three. Uh, he completes the hat trick at 824 of OT after Toronto blows a three goal lead in the cup qualifier. I would say that's more embarrassing than blowing a four goal lead in some random February pandemic season. Yeah. Although there's just something especially sad about it happening to the Sens. It, it is. I was on my other podcast just before recording this one. And obviously it was a bit of a different tone because, uh, I, we were loving it. And I was saying that I, same way for Ottawa, if this was against any other team, it really, it would have been cool, but it would not have been like as cool, right? Like you do this against Edmonton or, or Winnipeg. It's like, yes, this was awesome. But like, it's not as hysterical, even against Montreal, it, it wouldn't have been quite as funny, although it would have been awesome. But just the fact that it happened against Toronto is just the best thing. It's just hilarious, you know? Yeah. hundred percent for you guys, at least. And then there's this weird thing where Leafs Twitter was like, oh, Sens fans are celebrating this like it's their Stanley Cup and getting all like snobby. But it's like, 
they they're not delusional. They know the team sucks and they just had one of the most improbable comebacks of the last 20 years against their biggest division rival. Like, of course, they're going to celebrate the shit out of this. Yeah. Yeah. There was a couple of people who were like, oh, it's not a it's not a personality trait or whatever to celebrate uh, the least losing. It's like, well, like if you can't enjoy this win as an Ottawa Senators fan, you're just going to be miserable for three years because these are the things that in a rebuild you should be taking advantage. You should be like cherishing, you know, like there's not like there's many. How many good memories do you have from the tanking Austin Matthews season? Well, that's what I was just about to say. Like, if this happened during the Leafs-Matthews tank year against the Bruins, like, people would have lost their goddamn mind, and rightfully so, because it would have been awesome in one of the few bright spots of the year. Yeah, exactly. And it's just like – and especially, like, people were saying that the night of, as if it's like – as if Toronto fans wouldn't have done the exact same thing for a full 24 hours. It's like, yeah, in, like, a month and a half, if all you're clinging on to is Toronto's 10 points ahead and about to clinch the division is remember when you guys blew a five, one lead to us, it's like, okay, that doesn't have the same burn as uh, it might right now. But right now it's like, if you're Toronto, you just got to take your licks and guess what? They went back and beat Ottawa two more times in a row this week. You know, they, they, they took four of six. If I would have told you that Toronto lost a two, one game and then beat Ottawa seven, three and actually one, six, five in overtime, You'd be like, yeah, that's a fine week. You took four or six. Obviously, you won a little more than Ottawa, but they took five of six points against Ottawa because that game wasn't overtime. Yeah, acting the fool woman had a tweet like that. It was like, the Leafs took five of six points, scored 14 goals. We should be happy, but of course, they're the Leafs, and they did it in the most infuriating way possible. Yeah, and I mean, it was one game. It was a hilarious one game, but like it's one game. And I think the best way to pretty pretty much sum it up is if you think that good teams can't have bad games like that, where it's like, well, no, it's different because it's Toronto. Uh, evolving hockey, and I think it was Dom LeCision as well, went back and looked at, you know, the, the most times during uh, since 07 or whenever the data is collected, right? The biggest win probability anyone's ever had with blowing it. And Toronto ranked second. You know who ranked first? the 2010 Chicago Blackhawks when they blew a five, nothing lead to Minnesota one night and that Chicago Blackhawks team in 2010 were just a bunch of bums, right? <laughs> no, they went on to win the Stanley cup. And I'm not saying, you know, all oh, the Toronto Stanley cup confirmed nothing stupid like that, but like, it just goes to show that even the best of teams can have bad, bad nights. Yeah, exactly. It's not like when this happens, it shows you just don't know how to win, get, win the big one or whatever. Like, it happens to everybody if it happened to the freaking Blackhawks pre-dynasty, like just as the di- on the cusp of the dynasty. Yeah, exactly. Like one of the best Blackhawks teams we've seen because that was when you had Young, Taves, and Kane, but it was also just loaded with rentals. And like Bufflin and Ladd were on that team, right? They like, had Bufflin on like their fourth line. Other than those like super dominant Wings teams in like 07, that was probably like the second best team of our lifetime. Yeah, exactly. Like it was just – and that team blew a five-goal lead in the third period. So – you know, it happens, but it was just, it was always, I mean, it's hilarious that it happened, uh, you know, it, obviously newsworthy, but um, it was also just funny watching the, just the reactions on Leafs Twitter after a loss, especially like, yes, a loss like that's embarrassing, but it's just like, after any loss, it feels like, oh, this team's just not good enough. You know, they don't have the scoring talent. They, they don't have the passion or whatever, just whatever stupid. Sometimes it's like just dumb stuff like passion. Other times it's just not true at all like you know well William Elan is too inconsistent and we'll plug your stuff at the end of this about that but like it's just like 
how does this team go from two wins in a row and they're planning the cup parade? And obviously not every fan's like this, but there's such a loud majority of the fan base that is, or maybe it's a minority, but they're so loud that it's like so many people you look at and even just analysts are kind of the same way. It's like, this is one of the best teams in the league. They're rolling. And then they lose one game. It's like, well, they're actually just not that good. It's like, well, which one is it? Yeah. Like the, the swings are so hilariously dramatic sometimes it's fun to just like sit back and watch even though it is your team that's blowing the lead like at some point you just have to laugh oh yeah like i don't think that like, you're, you're just uh, there's no better way than to just laugh it off you know yeah because oh, i also i guess i am saying this <laughs> it's a lot easier to laugh it off i did not invest three hours into this game only to watch them blow it i was thankfully not tuned in which makes it way easier to laugh off but still yeah, I mean, like you can be disappointed, you can be pissed off that night. I mean, Leaf fans should have been pissed off that night. They blew a five goal lead to the worst team in the league. But the pissed off ends at being like the next day you go, okay, yeah, that was freaking embarrassing, but whatever. We're still 11 3 and 2 with the best record in the NHL. Because that's the other thing. If this was, if they blew a lead and they have the record of Vancouver right now or Calgary, where they're 8 11 and 1 is what Vancouver is, if that would have put them 8 11 and 1, three games below 500, yeah, I could understand being a little more pissed off. It put them at 11 3 and 2, six points ahead of anyone else in their division still. And like, I, I just, I don't, I, it's one of those things where it's like, yes, be frustrated that night. Be like, yo, this team, like, how did that happen? What a joke. It's like, that, that was a pathetic effort or whatever, or just, you know, or even unlucky effort or whatever. But the next day, it's just got to be like, okay, yeah, that sucked. But like, hey, we're still in a great position. It was one game. We've played relatively well. And considering this probably isn't the peak of what this team can do, not just like 24 more hours of just bagging on every part of the team. It's honestly insane. Yeah, exactly. Or even if they were in like a Montreal position where they were chasing and then you're just throwing points away against the worst team in the division, it would be infinitely worse than the spot they're in. Yeah. I mean, like, they're, like I don't know. And again, like they rebounded nicely. They won the next two games. You know, they, I thought Ottawa played pretty well in that second game. They lost two, one, but Toronto, you know, that they, they had more talent, they won the game and then they won seven, three last night, you know? Uh, so they're up to 13, three and two, and they have an eight point lead over Montreal. Granted does have five games or five, three games in hand. Sorry. So they can make up to six points, but, and then they have two against Ottawa, but realistically, what are the odds tr- Montreal wins their next three games? All three of them. Like, they might, they might take four points out of six, but even that puts Toronto four points ahead of Montreal, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like four points would be the expected outcome and you're still in a great spot. Yeah. So it's just one of those things where, yeah, I get it. I get why they were frustrated, but also like, this is that, like people were comparing this to the David Ayers game. There's nothing. I don't think there's anything that could ever be worse in the history of hockey that is then worse than losing the David Ayers game. Honest to God, I don't. Like, unless you were blowing a seven goal lead or something, just insane like that in the, the, the game seven of, of a playoff round in the third period. Like the only other way I think to top the David Ayers game is not, is losing to a team that didn't have a goalie in the net. But like, yeah. and I think like the whole game, right. There was something just especially sad about the David Ayers game. Cause you knew exactly what was going to happen the entire time. Well, and it's because he was on their payroll. If it was like, like it, it would have been, hilarious and somewhat sad if they lost to Carolina's e-bug who like ended up being the practice goalie for the AHL team or whatever. That still would have been a huge story. But the fact that it was decked out in Toronto gear, he was their own goalie who they shoot on every day at practice and they still couldn't score more than two goals or whatever it was and lost the game. That is what makes it so embarrassing. Yeah. 
And, and like this, like, I'm sorry, but like this just doesn't, I get Ottawa's not a good team, but Ottawa's enough NHL talent where it's like, yes, they can win games and they can storm back and score a couple in a row. Like Brady Kachuk is a great player. Evgeny Dadanov's a solid player. Shabbat is an um, unreal player. You know, like they have actual talent on the team and even their goalie, Marcus Hogberg. Yeah. He doesn't look good this year, but he's not a 42 year old Zamboni driver. Yeah, exactly. He's not a Zamboni driver employed by you. Exactly. So I, I don't know. Like people were people were overreacting as they tend to do. And even but even like on Wednesday, I saw people like this is a redemption game. It's like, man, if this is a redemption game for you, that's that's just a lot more about the team than that or your faith in the team than it does the actual team itself. I think. But um, you know, they're still seven one and two in their last uh, ten. And um, let's get let's get to the Galchenyuk stuff. Um, so we'll get to the bigger trade in a second. Ottawa obviously Galchenyuk was on Ottawa. He tra- got traded to Carolina. Carolina waved him immediately. Uh, he stayed in Canada, and the Leafs put a claim in on him, and they they got him. Um, I it's a fine pickup. Uh, I saw a lot of people. It feels like everyone does this. Like this is Galchenyuk's sixth team in three years, or seventh team in three years. Um, at one of these points, we're going to have to stop clinging on to this third overall potential stuff. Um, yes, he was a 30 goal scorer. Yes, he was a third overall pick. The dude hasn't looked like that in years. And uh, he might be a useful guy to plug in when you have an injury in your you know, middle six or whatever. But he's not like I can speak from experience in Ottawa. He's just he's not a 30 goal scorer. He's a guy who doesn't drive play very well, has a good shot when you can use it. But I just, I don't see, you know, like I saw a bunch of take, like I saw someone call him a middle or a top six winger or something like a middle six winger, sorry for Toronto. And I was like, he's not a true middle six winger. He can fill in when you need him to, but if you are penciling him into your second line, you are going to be sorely mistaken. Yeah. Like it's at some point you have to be willing to abandon where the heck the guy was drafted and just be like, Hey, he's really not that good of a hockey player. And people point out like his point totals as if we don't have, thousands of minutes of metrics that says, Hey, he's so amazingly bad defensively that even when he puts up 30 points, he's still in that negative on your team. Yeah, exactly. He literally cannot play defense. And like, I don't know, in Ottawa, his, his numbers weren't great. And most of Ottawa's numbers weren't great, but it was just, he was so unnoticeable for so much of the time. And, um, you know, he had one goal and no assists in eight games. And it's like, he didn't play with the greatest line mates granted, but it's like, yeah, he just he was invisible for literally like ninety eight percent of the games that he played. And in Minnesota, he had seven goals and fourteen or seven points in fourteen games. Pittsburgh, he had seventeen, so like he had twenty five points in in like fifty something games last year. And yet he was still a massive net negative. So it's just one of those things where sure, like again, he's a fine depth guy. I if you pick him up and he's like realistically what Toronto's thirteenth, fourteenth, fifteenth option at forward, right? Like that's fine. But I, I did see some takes where it's like, Oh yeah, he can slot in and play in the Jimmy VC role. It's like, if you hate Jimmy VC, I got some bad news about Alex Galchenyuk. I don't think he's going to impress you too much more. Yeah, exactly. And there's the problem where like Galchenyuk's a really easy guy to talk yourself into because there have been at least some flashes where people are like, Oh, it's a high upside, low downside, but there's this weird. So it's technically like a plus expected value move which like is probably true because when there's literally no downside, it's basically impossible to be a negative EV move. But like the thing is there's this fallacy there where like if the upside is like insanely unlikely, this happens with like lottery, like extreme thought 
uh, experiments with lotteries. Like if the upside is so incredibly unlikely that you're going to have to do this for like lifetimes and lifetimes, and it's not even actually adding any value to you. And I think Galchenyuk's at that point where like the odds of him ever reclaiming any semblance of what he used to be is so unlikely, even though this is technically like a, he's an all right pickup on paper. Like you're just never going to reap those rewards basically. So it's just a whatever. Yeah. And the, the other issue with the all upside, no downside is there's downside. If your coach routinely plays a guy who's not good and still puts him in there, that that's a downside, you know? And then like, so in, in a perfect world, it's like, yes, if he looks bad, then your coach takes him out. And I think like, I, I trust Toronto maybe more than other teams to do that for sure. But uh, like, let's say they just try and jam him into a top six or a third line left winger role or whatever. And he, he just doesn't, it's clear he doesn't fit for like 10 games, but they keep him in the lineup. That's downside. You know, even if you picked him up for free, he's still hurting your team, which is not a good thing. Right. So it's one of those things where, again, I, I, I don't hate the pickup, but um, I, I just feel like one, like this has got to be his last year in the NHL where, unless he truly is okay with playing as like a 13th forward on a bunch of different teams. I just don't see how he, unless he really shows something with Toronto in like 30 games here where he can be a responsible fourth line player. I don't see how this, he gets another shot after this, but I have said that for like two more teams as well. So. Yeah. You have to imagine he's going to the KHL if, and when this fails, right. You would think so. I'm like, like at this point, he just, he kind of feels like the perfect KHL player, you know, like, like Yakupov lights it up in the KHL and he's not an NHLer, but I, I feel like Elcheniak's skill set would probably play well in the KHL, but I don't know. It just, it also depends what he wants to do. You know, some guys want to make it work in North America. And even if he gets paid slightly less to be a, a 13th forward or whatever, you know, he might take that, but it, it just, to me, unless he can, literally like legitimately play well in terms of like 50% shot share and expected goals and stuff. And also pot a couple goals home to make his value actually tangibly worth it. I don't see how he gets another opportunity. Yeah. Like at, at some point, like he's, how old do you think Alex Galchenyuk is? He's like 26. Isn't he? He's 27 years old. Like he's not even. He's not young. young. No. Yeah. Like not even young anymore. He's just like a quote unquote prime age player who just clearly has not shown that he has anything yeah he's a guy who peaked five seasons ago now like at 23 yep. like he had a 56 point season 15 16 that's five years ago now and then he had a 51 point season 17 18 i guess as well but that was really the start of he was and again plus minus but his, his, his advanced numbers show the same thing but he was a minus 31 while throwing up 51 points which is just uh phenomenal you know like and like, again, like plus minus is not a good stat, but you go and look at his uh, advanced numbers and he told you the exact same thing. It was, he let way more up when he was on the ice than when, uh, you know, that he created, even though he had 51 points, which is uh, impressive. Yeah, exactly. Like he's just, it's just not there. And at some point we're all going to have to accept that. And I don't know, hopefully I'm wrong, I guess, but I'm pretty confident in this at that point. Yeah. I mean, like, if, obviously, you know, you want to see everyone succeed. And if he, uh, I don't know. Like if he, if he became just a responsible bottom six forward, that'd be cool. And I, I think then, you know, I could see a team giving him a 1.5 mil deal or, or, or whatever. Right. But uh, it's just one of those things where I, I don't know. Like I, I've just, there's so much evidence where at this point I'm, I'm hesitant to believe that there's, there's really a true spot for him here. Yeah, exactly. Like it's, it's not just like he's had a down year. It's thousands of minutes of basically, for lack of a better term, failure. 
Yeah, and it's um, it's why it's an interesting fit in Toronto because you know their biggest problem is always defense, not actually goal scoring. So um, I'll be curious to see how much he draws into the lineup, if at all, really. Um, some people were confused as to why Toronto didn't claim him off waivers. So I made a mistake. I said they claimed him. They waited till he cleared waivers and then traded for him. The reason they did that was because uh, he's more valuable now because he can go on and off the taxi squad with actually without having to be put on waivers, right? So he can just be added and taken off for 10 games or 30 days, I believe it is. Um, so he's more valuable to the team now that he cleared waivers and that's why they were willing to give up an asset. Um, I'm, I'm a very minor one of that instead of just, uh, you know, uh, picking him up. Yeah, exactly. And the, the nice thing is they didn't really give up anything real, but. No, they gave up what it was Kor- Korshkov, who I don't think is really an NHL player. Yeah, Korshkov and a guy from what I understand is a Marley's like healthy scratch slash depth defenseman. So, yeah, so um, it's one of those things where it's like it is, it is what it is. Almost a contract going back the other way. Korshkov was a second round pick, thirty uh, first overall, so almost a first. It would have been a first then when Vegas was in, but uh, it's twenty sixteen. He played one NHL game, had one goal, uh, absolute sniper. But uh, yeah, he is, he's he's an okay player. He looked okay with the Marleys for a year, but. Um, you know, I just don't, there was no place where he was going to make this uh, Toronto team at any time soon. I don't think. Yeah, exactly. Like there are, there are worlds where he turns out to be all right, but it's not like there aren't that many worlds where the Maple Leafs are like kicking themselves for giving this guy up. Yeah, exactly. So, um, Let's go to the bigger trade too. So the reason Gelchenik was even on waivers in the first place was because Ottawa and Carolina made a deal. Carolina sent Ryan Dezingle to Ottawa uh, in exchange for Cedric Paquette and Alex Gelchenyuk. Um, as a Sens fan, I love this deal. I don't really understand why Carolina did it. Uh, they kind of... Zingle struggled mightily in Carolina. He was not a good player in Carolina, so hopefully he's trying to get his spark back here in Ottawa, but uh, Gelchenyuk and Paquette aren't particularly good players either which is why i don't understand what carolina had to gain from this yeah i trust carolina is a smart organization and so i my only thought and i don't know if this is just something that it's like wishful thinking or whatever me overvaluing how smart the hurricanes are is they have something else planned for that cap space because that's really the only way this deal makes any sense yeah i yeah i mean yeah, I guess so. I, that, I like it if you want to, because I think they clear a little bit out, but I just, I don't know, like Paquette's playing on their NHL roster and I just don't get that, you know, like. Yeah. Or the, the Occam's Razors, they, they kind of like Paquette. Yeah, which it, it clearly looks like they do as a fourth line center, which, uh, sir, I guess he was just very clearly not a fit in Ottawa. Uh, Ottawa, the, the thing is, in, in Tampa Bay, the reason he had some success is because Tampa Bay has so much talent in their top nine that the fourth line just had to go out and not let up a goal, just kind of go out and hit people for a little, a couple minutes a game, right? Um, and, and penalty kill, obviously. Uh, in Ottawa, they don't have the high-end talent for that to be a thing, so they legitimately need their fourth line to chip in with a goal here or there, and Cedric Paquette does not do that at all. No. Like, he, ever. He doesn't. And he is not going to do that anytime no. soon. No, he is where offense... He's where offense goes to die. Yep. Like he, he's average responsible. Like he's average defensively, I would say, just kind of net neutral. And he is just disgustingly bad offensively. So again, like Carolina fits maybe the more mold where it's like, yeah, you have more skill of a top nine. So maybe you can afford that to have just a penalty kill guy in your, in your fourth line who just plays defensive 
eight minutes on five on five or whatever. But I just, I don't think that's a good use of one of your 12 roster spots. I really don't. No. And yeah. So like I said, and like, unless you really have something to do with this cap space other than Cedric Paquette and Cedric Paquette's kind of expensive. Like a 1.6 million liner is like, it sounds like something you shouldn't really complain about, but like, it's not nothing. No, I mean, like, they save $1.7 million in cap space. Right. But like at what, like, I don't know, like it just at what cost, right? Like, it's not like, I don't even think Paquette is t- like way worse than Dezingle, but I would much rather Dezingle on my team because I think he has much more higher upside than Cedric Paquette does. Yeah. And I get for Carolina, like it is clear that the Dezingle experiment did not work. So it's, it's really great. Like the biggest winner of this trade, in my opinion, is Ryan Dezingle himself for getting to go back to Ottawa. Yep. I, I, uh, I'm excited to see him. Uh, he obviously can't play. He's got a two week quarantine. So March 1st will be his first game. Probably. Um, I, I just, I, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I think I, I would be excited for if I'm Dezingle too, because I think uh, I'm curious to see how they use him because right now I think he'll probably slot into that fourth line spot with, uh, Josh Norris, who's a good player, and then Austin Watson, who is not as good of a player. You know what? He's been okay this season, but it's just we have a lot of data to say he's not uh, he's not very good at hockey. But um, he's been disgustingly bad defensively, but he's been you know fine offensively this year. So maybe, maybe there's a spot for him there on a fourth line that chips in a couple goals here or there. But um, I, I just I, I really can't wrap my head around why. Like I totally understand why Ottawa did it. This is perfect way you take away Cedric Paquet, who has been a DJ Smith toy all year, who just shouldn't have been playing. You add a speed guy in your lineup who uh, had success with Ottawa a couple of years ago. You know, was a bit of a fan favorite. Yeah, exactly. It's nice. It's nice to bring home somebody that everybody liked. He's got one year left, right? Yep, at three point three. So if he can score a couple of goals, maybe you flip him at the deadline too, right? So. Yeah, exactly. Like he's competent enough. I could see you put him in to your second power play unit, maybe, and you get like a third round pick or something for him with yep, the I mean, deadline. Yeah. Well, and the nice thing about Ottawa, well, I don't know if nice is the right word, but they have so many guys that are just kind of all in the same range of each other where they can really roll four different lines that all kind of look the same. So it's like the Zingle's not going to be stapled to the fourth line. He's going to get time in that top nine as well. And while there's not a ton of super skilled guys, you know, he's going to get time to play with like a Drake Batherson or even maybe like a, a Colin White and, or Evgeny Dadanov, you know, kind of guys like that who should help boost their point totals. And if you can boost his point totals again, like, yeah, you might get a third or even a fourth round pick. If you get a fourth round pick for, you know, 10 games of uh, uh, Ryan Dezingle and getting contracts off your book, and then you just get a free third or fourth round pick, I'm, I'd take that every day. Yeah, exactly. It's- Perfect kind of so, trade for an Ottawa-style team. Yeah, I, 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 th- I thought that was it – was, it was a small move, but I thought it was a good move by Pierre Dorian. So. Yeah, and worst-case scenario, you bring home somebody who the fans liked on a year where there's really not that much to cheer for. Yeah, I mean, the team sucks anyway, so it's like with him, it's like even if he sucks and you keep him in the lineup, it's like, wow, our team just – it's going to be a lottery team anyway, so what are you going to do? You walk away from him at the end of the year, right, if you can't trade him. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, let's get to some other stuff here. Uh, <laughs> I informed you, I guess, that there's an outdoor game tomorrow, probably today, actually. Well, I don't know. I might get this out Friday. We're recording Friday morning 
And Chase said, no idea. There's two outdoor games this weekend. I'm assuming most people didn't because I tweeted out and I had about four people go. There was outdoor games this weekend. And uh, yeah, they, as always, sneak up on you. They always seem to. Uh, two games at Lake Tahoe, which um, I don't know. I'm assuming you clearly haven't seen the pictures. It looks really, really, really freaking good, dude. Like really good. It's funny. I had no idea there was an outdoor game. And now that you say that I can pick, I saw the pictures on Twitter and I just didn't <laughs> process that this was for an NHL outdoor game. Yeah. Like, so uh, I can send them to you now, but it looks just freaking amazing. I'm so, so excited to actually get to watch one of these games or both of the games. Probably. Um, we talked about this at the beginning of the year when, you know, the schedule got dissected and, and we said, you know, it'd be cool to see if they could do some outdoor games on just random locations, like a random lake in Alberta or whatever, you know, like how cool would that be? And they're not playing on Lake Tahoe, which is it's smart, but they're playing right beside it with the backdrop of the mountains and the whole lake in, in the background. And they just set this really cool rink up where there's, there's barely any, there's obviously the glass you need, but there's no higher glass than that anywhere around the rink they set up this really cool uh just uh, two booths to broadcast and for people to obviously changing rooms for the for the teams to be in it just it looked that it looks amazing it looks so so good i'm so excited to watch this and the best part is the biggest problem for outdoor games on tv is that uh the the, the fans you know the, the cameras are so far away right so you know you have to like you get a, a bad view of it that's not gonna happen here you know no, that, that picture is beautiful, actually. Oh, yeah. And, like, there's just so – like, look at here. I'll send you another. Like, there's just so many. It's just, like, the whole scenery looks so good. I'm so freaking excited to see what this can do. And I, I'm really curious to see what kind of revenue this brings in because the biggest problem is, you know, usually the people complain about the outdoor games, but they're not for TV. They're for the fact that they can sell 70,000 tickets or whatever it is at 50 to 100 – or 50 to, like, 400 bucks a pop, right? And yeah. – um, you know, you can get, you get so much just gate revenue. You get so many people just cause it's freezing cold outside most of the time, just buying boatloads of beer and stuff like that. It's just, and it's for the atmosphere, you know, you have activities out front and all that stuff. And then that's where they make their money. So it's not usually for the TV game. So I'm really interested because it costs a lot of money to set these things up. You know, like, I think it was like a million dollars per game or something like that to set up, which it, it's a lot of money. Right. So I'm curious to see if this is worth it to the point where they would at least even be interested in doing a no fans game later this year, or if they head to early next year or something like that. I don't think it would be in there. They probably don't want to, but I don't know. Like just the idea to me of like just playing almost outdoor backyard hockey, but it's an NHL game. It just, it looks so cool. It does look freaking awesome. And there's added benefits to outdoor games this year because being outdoors is very, very helpful in fighting the spread of COVID-19. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, I didn't even really think of that, but that's a good point. You know, who knows how much it'll help, but it definitely, you know, we have a lot of data to see that it helps way more than playing indoors and being side by side with people. Right. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I don't think like, I'm excited to watch. I, I would, I, I don't usually, uh, uh, chill out for league events like this because I'm not usually excited for them. I think they're, they're usually going to be stupid. Uh, they have a bunch of like pregame and, and activities during the game, but it should be two good games too, which I'm excited about because it's uh, the first game on, on Saturday is at 3 p.m. and it's Vegas and Colorado, two of the best teams in, in that division going head to head. And then the game at 3 p.m. on Sunday is Boston and Philly. So again, two of the best teams in that division, in their division. Um, so it should be two actually good games to watch. And I'm just really excited to see how it goes. 
Yeah, exactly. And it's great, great for the scheduling to actually get good games instead of like a last year. What was there like a Ducks LA game or something like that outdoors? It was LA Colorado, I think. And it was just like Colorado shit the bed too. And it's like, oh, no one wants to watch this horrible LA team, right? Like, yeah, exactly. But yeah, I'm really happy to see we got two actual good games. I think one last year was Nashville and Dallas too, which was, it was better, you know, like, but still even that, uh, um, Oh, that, that was another thing. Okay. I have another thing to add to our list to talk about, but um, yeah, I, I'm really excited. You know, obviously um, do whatever you want with your free time, but if you're bored in the afternoon at all this weekend, um, definitely try and tune into one of these games and see what it looks like. Cause I'm, I think it should look awesome. I, I'm really super excited for this. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. It's like the, um, the in-game photographer's dream game. Oh yeah, like the the uh, the the photo porn that's going to be coming out of this for hockey, like hockey porn coming out of this is just going to be insane, you know. One hundred percent. Um, yeah. Other than that, uh, we got to, the the one thing I want to bring up was Nashville. So uh, I didn't realize how much they were struggling this year, and it sounds like they could be big sellers at this year's deadline, which uh, I, I think is good. Actually, you know, I, they're they're a team that has been they they're kind of stuck in the middle where. They're, uh, I mean, they're a little less than neutral this year. They're kind of bad. They're six and 10 right now with a minus 19 goals differential. They're almost as bad as the Detroit Red Wings. Um, but their core is like one of those where you think it's, it's, it's decent, but it's nowhere near good enough to win a cup, but it, it doesn't feel uh, bad enough to truly tank year in and year out. So they either need to really figure out a way to improve it quickly or sell off the core and restart. It looks like they're doing the latter. And I don't think that's the worst, uh, worst move they could make. I think it's a great idea because their core is like sneaky old. Like when people for a long time were whatever, where people thought the prime was like 27 to 31, basically their whole core is in that range. But we now know that for the most players, the ship has sailed at that point. So cutting, they might be able to do something that I'm not sure very many teams have been able to do, which is cut bait with, they're good, but not absolutely elite players before they get way too old and everybody realizes contracts complete boat anchor. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, a couple of guys they were talking about selling, uh, uh, Ryan, or sorry, not Ryan Ellis, uh, Matthias Eckholm will probably be on the block this, uh, this, this offseason or this deadline. And he's got two more years or one more year after this one, 3.75. And I'm really curious to see what, uh, what kind of interest he gathers, uh, I think that um, a good comparison was Jake Muzzin, but I, I think if you're Nashville, obviously you're asking for a little more than Muzzin got. The first will be a starting point, but Muzzin brought in first Sean Dursey and uh, Grunstrom. So I would say Dursey's what a B slash C prospect, and Grunstrom was like a a borderline NHL player. But yeah, Grunstrom's like one of those classic guys who you're pretty confident can be like a third liner one day, but not really sure he's going to be much more than that. Yeah, exactly. So I think if you're Nashville, you got to be asking for a first for sure. But then I think I would be asking for like a, not like an A plus prospect or anything like that, but like a good prospect or another like second and fourth round pick or something like that, you know? Yeah, you'd think you should be able to get more than Muzzin. Although, are you sure that the league would value him that much more than Muzzin? I don't know. I don't think... I don't even know if it's valuing him more than Muzzin. Yeah, I think they probably value the same, even though I think Matias Eckholm slightly better. But it's more just about, I think if you're Nashville, it's pretty easy to point to that and go, yes, everyone accepts that that was a huge win for Toronto. And it's less of a loss for LA just because they had to accept that they were rebuilding, but they really got one useful asset. And that was the first round pick. Right. So I think if you're Nashville, 
it's not even much about saying Eckholm's much better than Muzzin. It's that trade is kind of ugly for LA in terms of they probably didn't get near as much value as what Muzzin's bringing to Toronto. Yeah, that's fair. So and I, I, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Just the one thing is the everybody being broke works against them this year. Although that contract is freaking fantastic. Yeah, I think almost, I, I said this on Twitter, I definitely understand where COVID and the, even the restrictions might come into play. But at the same time, like I could see a couple teams looking at this and being like, well, we could go spend on a defenseman and free agency this year for a couple of years, or we could have two playoff runs with Matias Ekholm at 3.75 on his contract. And I don't know what he, and less owed in real money. It's 3 million. Oh, sorry. No, never mind. Next year he's owed 5 million. So it's 3 million this year in base salary and 5 million next year in base salary. So it's basically like you're paying five and a bit million for a guy who has a cap hit of around 5 million when, by the time you pick him up. Yeah, exactly. And he's, a legitimate one? Like a, one. yeah I, i'd say i would probably put him as like one of those like i think he's kind of in the jake muzzin range where he's a really great number two and uh you know he can be a number one but if he's your absolute best defenseman on a team you probably don't have a great defense core yeah like you're you're super happy like him being your two or whatever is something to brag about Yes. Oh, and the fact that he's the three on Nashville is like, oh yeah, we're swimming in riches here, right? But yeah, exactly. But yeah, so it'll be interesting to see because um, uh, you know they have some other guys that I'm really curious to see what they do with like like Victor Arvidsson's another name. He's already 27. Um, you know, uh, I, I don't see them getting out from the Matt Duchesne contract. I just it's five more years after this one at eight mil. Philip Fers- Phil Fersberg. Forsberg is another name. Six mil for one more year after this one. He's 26. Those are two guys I think I would look at selling. You know, I, I know they're really good players, but they're 26 and 27. And if your plan is to rebuild, say, for even three years or whatever, they're going to be 30 and 29 by the time you even hope to get good again. They're probably going to be like 32 and 33 by the time you hope to be competing. So what are they going to be at that point? I would see if, you know, if the market's there, I would be trying to trade them. A hundred percent. Cause they're at that age where even if, if you do like a two year retool and try to run it back pretty soon, like there's a non-zero chance. It's very obvious that their best years are just gone at that point. Yeah. So, and like, I mean, even Victor Arvidsson at like not his best years is still worth four. Like that's a sweetheart contract 4.25. Right. But I, I just, I think, you know, those are two guys, especially Forsberg. I think Forsberg has more name value than Arvidsson around the league, but that those are two guys you could probably get some uh, premium assets for if you want to flip. And then, you know, they also got other guys, Mikhail Granlin and Eric Halla. I think you should probably be able to get some assets for those guys as well. And um, you know, maybe even Pekka Rene is a rental, but we we've seen goalie rentals don't usually go so well in terms of uh, actually fetching a return. Yeah, there's it's the goalie market's tough, and it makes sense with all the uncertainty at the position, especially with Rene as a 38 year old. That that'd be a tough sell. The biggest problem too, I think, this year is like there was obviously years past where it was like it was so that when like 2018, it was so obvious San Jose should have got Jimmy Howard at the deadline that year. Um, and they just didn't, and they ended up fizzling out in the playoffs, obviously, and a lot of large part due to goaltending. Uh, in, in this this year kind of reminds me of like Edmonton is kind of one of those teams where it's like I don't know if Pekka Rene is better than Koskinen, but I feel sli- I feel better that he's probably even better than Mike Smith. So like adding him would be good. The problem is he'd have to quarantine for fourteen days, and for a goalie, that seems not worth it for any team in the Canadian division. Yeah, it's uh, that just it's just an extra hurdle to something that's already basically never happening. 
Yeah, exactly. So, uh, but they do have some some interesting assets to sell up front. And as I said, Ekholm has a year and a half left too. So uh, it'll be really interesting to see uh, what they kind of get because you know it, it, I could see teams approaching, and I think a smart team would approach it and do what you know Tampa Bay did with. Uh, Goudreau and Coleman, where it's, you get two playoff runs. I, I We talked about it last year where we might see teams start selling like that and start buying like that more often. And I really don't, if for a good player like uh, Eckholm, or yeah, Eckholm is, I don't think that's the worst uh, decision by any means. Yeah, given like how unlikely it is that even absolutely elite teams win the cup, it always just made so much more sense to go for two years of term on your rentals. Yeah, exactly. And so it'll be interesting to see where he goes. Uh, like I don't know. I'm trying to think of off the top of my head here if there's any team I would really love to to see him go to where I think that's an absolute obvious fit. Maybe Boston in terms of, you know, like I know Leafs fans won't want to hear that, but, you know, Boston, if they got a, another stud on their defense core for a year and a half, uh, Philly maybe, um, uh, Vegas, but I don't think Vegas has the cap space to make that work. Same with the Blues. Uh, and then I, I, like, I don't, I just don't see him quarantining for 14 days in the North Division, but like if a team like Edmonton could swing that or even the, I don't think the Jets should because I don't think they, I don't think they're close enough to being a cup contender or anything, but like Edmonton swinging, that would be interesting too. I was going to bring up Edmonton. It does bring up the the quarantining problem or whatever, but Edmonton's probably going to make the playoffs this year and think they're better than they are. So if they're going to buy, that would be an awesome candidate to do it with. Yeah, and I, I do think there's something behind where it's like you can't keep wasting the years of McDavid and Dreisaitl. And I go back and forth because um, on one hand, it might not be the worst idea to just say, okay, we need to get all these bad contracts off the books, so we got to wait a year or two. We don't want to spend too many assets and then just load up for those years. But also it's like, well, if you can get someone like Matthias Eckholm who makes this team that much better, it's like, yeah, maybe we do that. And then, you know, we give ourselves a better chance at winning a round. And then once you win a round, you have McDavid and Drysaddle on your team. Where, where are you going from there, right? So, Yeah, exactly. And it's one of those things where if you're the Oilers, like it's so easy to talk yourself into just taking a shot. Especially in their divisions. Because this year, it's like, yes, you have the Maple Leafs and Canadians in your division. But like fairly or unfairly, people are going to say the Maple Leafs don't terrify you in the playoffs, right? They haven't won a round in forever. I think fairly they see, you know, Montreal is not going to terrify you. Obviously they're a good team, but it's not like you cannot beat the Montreal Canadians in a playoff series. And then obviously Winnipeg doesn't scare you. Vancouver doesn't scare you. And Calgary is a decent team, but I don't think you should be terrified of them right now either, you know? So, and then even, but even next year, if we go back to the Pacific, it's not like the Pacific division's any good. You get Vegas who should scare you, but then after that, you have a whole bunch of bum teams, you know? Yeah, they're in a great spot shots they're a great situation it's not like where they're in the toronto tampa boston kind of thing where you have to go back to a great division at least like the it's pretty open this year and it should be the for the foreseeable future too yeah so because yeah home has that extra year of term exactly right so it's like even next year it's like yes you got you're gonna have to go through vegas but you're gonna have to go through good teams at some point in the playoffs but the 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 thing is getting to the playoffs could be easier because you have anaheim who's probably still rebuilding arizona who definitely will be rebuilding next year la who's probably going to be on the upswing but still just not good enough you know uh san jose who's rebuilding vancouver who knows what they're going to do but like i don't think vancouver should terrify you in terms of you have to beat them and Calgary, which again, Calgary could have a big off season if this is a disappointing year. So um, yeah, I think if you're Edmonton, that's something you got to look at, but uh, it'll be interesting because I, I think any team that picks them up is definitely getting better. And 
he's one of those guys where he feels like the perfect guy to have a rental for a year and a half and, and probably let walk in free agency because he's, he's going to be 32 or 33 on his next contract. And unless you can get him for two years, it's probably not something you want to extend very long. Yeah. And that was always the best part about that contract is you get to walk away exactly when you want to. Yeah. So uh, it'll be really interesting to see what Nashville does. That was one thing I want to bring up just because, you know, Chris Johnson said on Sportsnet that he figures they'll probably be pretty big sellers this year. And I, I think that's a smart move for the team's future, honestly. Like they're just, they're kind of stuck in no man's land. They really, you know, they, they had, they picked up Askarov last year, uh, year in the draft. Uh, they have Tolvanen as a young guy, but uh, they don't have a ton else, it feels like. So they, they, they could really use a, a year or two reset to just pick up a couple of high-end talent guys and, and go for it, you know, in, in three or four years from now. Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, what else? We got uh, uh, Dallas has more games canceled. Uh, this is going to be interesting because I think it's it's getting the point where it's like, okay, like Dallas will play 12 games this year. Um, for comparison in the North Division, uh, the Canucks have played 20 and three other teams have played over 18 already. Um, the Dallas is getting games canceled because there's a bunch of snow in Texas and they were not ready for that. And uh, they don't have power in like half the state. So uh, uh, shitty stuff going on there, but uh, it, it's getting to the point where it's like, how many, how many more games can you postpone before it's too much on a team? And you really have to look at, okay, do we go by points percentage or do we bump everyone in this division, like three games off or whatever, and just say, well, you're all playing 55 or 52 or whatever, instead of 56. Yeah, and the other teams probably wouldn't complain too much about that either. Getting no, because they have a compact schedule as well. And it does lead to interesting discussion about, like, what do you do? Like, if Austin Matthews has 52 or 56 plays – was it 52 or 50? It's 56 games in the season right now. If yeah. he has 56 games and scores 42 goals – I don't know. I'll just throw a number out there, right? That would be insane, but it's still, 40, like, he's, he's on pace to hit 50-something right now. If he scored 40, 42 goals in a 56-game season – and then there's someone on the Blackhawks or or the Lightning who they only get to play 50 games, but they had 39 goals. Do you just give the the rocket to to Matthews, or do you go by you can't go at goals per game for this one season, right? Like it just got to go to the guy who who gets the like who scored the most, right? Fairly or unfairly? Yeah, I think you just kind of have to look at it same way you did with injuries in the past. Yeah, I, I guess like I, I know you know that's going to throw fits for people as well, though, but. Oh yeah, it's gonna piss people off, but I assume that's that's the only like reasonable solution is I think is just be like, well, it's unfortunate, but it's one year. We'll f- go back to normal in a, next year. Yeah, I mean, if they, um, I probably we've promised we're not gonna talk about the heart stuff because that got into this weekend for some. There's a team with 12 games played. They haven't even played a third of their, or a quarter of their games yet. We're already in heart conversation. Let's relax. So I don't want to get in that until we're at least like three quarters of the way down the season, but it will lead to interesting voting this year. And I, I think this year more than any, I wouldn't be shocked if there's an asterisk against some of the awards where it's like, okay, yeah, that guy won the heart, but he, or that, that guy won the Calder, but he also played like 13 more games than the other guy because the other guy just didn't have the option to do that. You know? Yeah. I could definitely see something like that happening or like the Vesna might get really weird because not only is it a shortened season to begin with, but goalies only start like 60-ish percent of games. Yeah, like the, the, there, there's a legitimate case where a goalie might win the Vesna and he played 30 games this year or whatever, right? Like 32 games. Yeah, exactly. And, and then uh, somebody else might have like 40 because they super relied on or whatever. And that's a huge gap early 
with this short of season. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, other than that, I want to touch on two teams, one one that's uh, surprisingly good and one that's not surprising, but they're bad. Uh, let's start with the Blackhawks. They're 95-4, and four, dude, tied for first in the division. Granted, they have 18 games played. Florida, who they're tied with, has uh, 14 games played. The Lightning and Canes, who are both one point behind, have 14 games played. So they will slip. They're about, I think, fifth in fourth or fifth in points percentage. That being said, they are still looking much better than we – ever would have thought at the start of the year. Yeah, they actually look all right. This is not something either of us saw coming or no, even I, close to it. I picked them as the worst team in this division, like worse than Detroit. And, um, you know, I, uh, stupid me, I didn't see Kevin Lankinen coming in and posting a 930 save percentage over 10 games or whatever it's been. Um, but he's been just lights at 931 over 12 games. So that's about all you need to know. In terms of how sustainable this is, I still expect they will fall out of the playoffs, but it's been kind of insane. Oh, yeah, it's been kind of crazy to look at the results. The wildest part is, where do you think they are in the league in, we'll say, Corsi 4 percentage? Uh, I was looking right now, and they're not top 15, so I'm going to assume like 26th. They're 30th. Yeah, that seems about right. Um, that and doesn't shock me at And this all. is at 5 on 5, and their goals 4 percentage is lower than their Corsi and XG, and yet they're still on this heater. It's honestly, like, insane. Like, they're they're rocking um, just, like, disgusting save percent. It, like, it's – I can't even describe how just wild that is. Like, like they have a PDO it, it, on even strength below 100. If you would have told me the Blackhawks are going to have, like, a 99.1 PDO and have this kind of a record, I would have not believed you. Yeah, it's just, like, it's – there's obvious regression coming, but just kind of the insane thing is too, is like just how many guys are they just produce on this roster that is like, Oh, that guy's just casually scoring a ton of goals. Like, um, uh, Pia Suter. Yeah, there's a lot. He has six goals and four assists this year in 18 games. He's got 10 points. I didn't even know who that was. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> you shouldn't. He, this is, he's, he's a rookie. He could, he's in the Calder race right now at 24 years old. He's a 24-year-old undrafted rookie. Yep, who played in Switzerland for a while. Uh, he played with uh, Guelph in, in uh, junior, and that junior was six years ago, by the way. Jesus. Yeah. Um, you know, another guy, uh, Philip Kurashev, 21-year-old. I think he was actually drafted, but, uh, yeah, he was drafted in the fourth round in 2018. Um, he's casually came in and thrown up five goals, four assists, nine points in 17 games. Um it's just like this is the kind of scoring they're getting right now on a on a, a bender of 931 save percentage from a dude who's 25 years old and uh, was undrafted as a goaltender. That's insane. You know the uh, the challenge where it's like you have to be able to name 10 guys on the roster? Yep. Pre-looking at their cap friendly, I might have failed this for the Blackhawks. I don't know if I would have been able to get the 10. I think I probably would have got like eight and then would have really been uh, – uh, struggling to get any any more than that. Yeah, like I've not heard of any of their depth players, basically. Well, Tave still isn't playing. You know, hopefully he's okay, but like he's not even technically on this roster. Yeah, this is nuts. It's just, it's kind of insane. That's why I want to bring it up. It's super unsustainable. Like I, I wouldn't be shocked if they just hit a wall and fall down to, 
I don't know. Like I, I think they'll probably just with this this hot of a start, they might beat. Uh, they'll definitely beat the Red Wings, and they might beat the Predators if the Predators are selling. But I still see them finishing probably comfortably sixth in this division. Oh, a hundred percent. Like there's there's going to be a wall coming anytime you have a team that's got this little shooting talent, completely unknown goalies, and they're getting absolutely crushed at even strength. And they've lost four games in overtime where it's like, yes, they could have won those four and there's maybe another point, but they might not even got to overtime either. Right. So it's like, you're looking at this team a lot different if they're nine and nine versus nine, five and four. Right. Yeah, exactly. Although it would be freaking amazing if they talked themselves into buying at the deadline because they've like just clung on enough. There's no way you can do this again. Right. Like, like no way. They, They finally admitted that they're taking a step back. They're going to rebuild. If, I, I think it would be disingenuous of this team not to be sellers, but imagine if they go and spend assets after this. God, that'd be awesome. Oh, I would laugh because I really don't care what Chicago does anymore, but like that would be something. That would be like, great. Oh, man, that would be. And the, the Florida Panthers are another team I want to get into really quickly. They're 10-2-2. Two, two. They're on a heater of a start, and the biggest part is Bobrovsky's their backup now. I don't even think I'd call Bobrovsky the starter. Chris Dreider is taking over the net. Ottawa Senators legend. Um, this this is a hot start. It's funny because the year I finally count Florida out is the, the time they show or start as the team that I thought they might have started as, as the past, in the past like five years. I know there's been so long of everybody being like, well, like there are a lot of pieces to like there at least, and it's never come together. Everybody's finally like, you know what, screw it. Florida's just not good they're not going to be good anytime soon and now they're actually doing all right and they're yeah, like I mean, well at, like they have they're sitting at about 51 and a half percent in terms of course nxg in yeah. that kind of range and goals four percentage at five on five so it's not like they're a glass house either no it puts them at 11th and both so it's like yeah they'll, they'll regress a little bit they're probably not the best team in the division with uh, tampa and carolina in it but um they're I, like at this point i think um, they're probably, if they keep anything like this up, they're easily a playoff team, you know, like, I think it'll be lightning canes, them, and then one of the stars or blue jackets, probably. Yeah, exactly. Assuming Dallas will be okay. Once they get power and everything, all the COVID stuff under control. It looks like the fourth spot would be Florida's to lose. Yeah, you would think so. Maybe even the third spot, to be honest, like depending, That's because like crazy. Dallas is going to have a disgusting schedule here, right? Like, Oh, yeah, there's going to be so many just, like, back-to-backs and stuff, and they're not a particular young team to begin with either. Yeah, exactly. Like, um, it, it'll be really interesting to see. So, like, there's there's a legitimate uh, uh, case where it's like, yeah, they, they might get a, a third spot in this division, but I, I would be pretty surprised at this point just seeing, you know, the Red Wings suck. I don't think the Blackhawks are for real. The Predators are selling, and I columbus maybe i guess but i would be pretty surprised if the panthers were not right in really close for a playoff spot this year you know maybe if everything went wrong in the second half of the year they fall out but i really think that this this is a team that probably is going to be a top four in this division come the end of the year yeah it looks like at this point like seasons are short enough it'd be a little disastrous if they didn't make it to be honest yeah, I mean, uh, you know, you never know, but like it, it's and especially with COVID and everything, like if they get smoked with a COVID outbreak, what can you do about that, right? But uh, just if, if everything stays kind of how they've been, like there's definitely no way that like I, I would be shocked if this team just completely falls out of the out of the um, playoffs, you know? 
Yeah, especially given in the shortened season, like you become entrenched in your playoff or not in playoff spots just so much earlier than you usually would. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I said uh, I was joking about Borowski, the backup, but I, honestly, like Chris Dreiger starting tonight as we're talking, it'll be his eighth start of the season. Borowski's had seven uh, just at a pure non-analytical standpoint, like just uh, basic stats, uh, goals against average 3.33, 0.884 save percentage for Bobrovsky. Dreiger's at a 2.39 goals against average and a 9.24 save percentage after he posted a 9.38 in 12 games last year. I'm not sold Chris Dreiger's as unreal goalie, but I think it's pretty clear that right now he is better than Sergei Bobrovsky. Yeah, exactly. And the way they're playing at 5-1-5, they don't really need like godly goaltending. You just need not a sieve. Yeah, exactly. That's what Dreiger's been. Uh, you know, in goal saved above average, Dreiger's at 3.91. Bobrovsky's already at minus 5.11. Goal saved above expected, 1.36 and minus 8.18. So, uh, you know, by all metrics, Bobrovsky's been one of the worst goalies in the league and Dreiger's been fine. And that's all they kind of need right now. It's fine. Yep. Yeah, and it's not like you can ask for much more out of a guy like Dreiger. Yeah, I mean, I'm just shocked he's even an NHL goalie. It's like, it, it almost hurts me that Ottawa gave up on him. You know, he was a guy that uh, Ottawa had coming out of college that they they managed to sign. They drafted him uh, third round in 2012 and and signed, signed him out of college, but he only ever played a, like two or three games with Ottawa and just never really stuck. And they let him go and he went to Florida and found uh, he was playing in the ECHL literally last year or two years ago in Florida and then jumped to the NHL in 1920 after the AHL. So. Yeah, good for him. Not too many yeah. guys make it out of the ECHL. Yeah, exactly. So um, it, it's good to see, and uh, you know, we'll we'll see how that goes. Eric. We'll continue to monitor that and see see how that division plays out. Uh, um, Buffalo is the team I want to bring up. I don't even know if we need to get super into this, but uh, man, they suck, dude. Like they're brutal. They're four seven yeah. and two. We kind of called that they were going to be bad at the beginning of the year, but like it's just got to be so deflating if you're a fan of this team to just watch them suck again. Yeah, and, like, they are getting PDO'd a little, but, like, there's no real reason to expect this team to have shooting talent or goaltending talent either. Like, there's just... No, like, they're 16th in expected goals, or, yeah, in expected goals if you score just, and, like, I think 20th in Corsi 4. I will say, I think, you know, Jack Eichel and maybe Taylor, like Taylor Hall's not looked good this season so far in terms of his production anyways. Like those are two guys that you would expect probably to wake up in some way. Even Jack Eichel has, uh, you know, it's funny. He has 12 points in 13 games, but he's only got two goals. You'd expect him to score a couple more. So like if that starts happening, maybe things start bouncing back a little bit, but they've just been disappointing. Yeah, and it's it's it shows what can happen with a bad team when luck isn't on your side. Like, it just gets so ugly so fast. Yeah, and for the record, I do think Jack Eichel should bring it. If you look at his RAPM, everything is blue but his goal score for 60, which is just the most random part of it all. You know, his expected goals for over 60 are above average. His Corsi 4 per 60 is. His expected goals against is his Corsi against. They're all above average for this season. So the goals should start coming for him. And, you know, it's similar but lesser degree for Taylor Hall. But he's been positive in most spots, just hasn't been able to score. And you would think that would change eventually, right? Yeah, because those those are the only two guys where you have a hope that they're actually – or a realistic hope, I guess, that they're going to outperform their underlying metrics, never mind just live up to them. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, I think that'll change and they might get a little bit better. But it just kind of shows all the flaws on this team. You know, they're, they're a long way from competing. And 
like I just it's one of those things where it's like, what do you do? Because how many more you like we we complain about the Oilers and McDavid, but it's like, damn, at least they're like, and part of it's the division. Buffalo, if Buffalo's in the Pacific, they'd at least be close to the playoffs most years. But it's like Eichel hasn't even sniffed the playoffs. Like McDavid at least has been close to the playoffs a couple of times. He should have made the playoffs last year. They got kind of screwed by a play-in tournament, right? But and you made it the second round a couple of years ago, and then um, but like Eichel hasn't even been within like 15 points of the playoffs ever. Yeah, there was a, a Josh Yurden. I don't know if I'm mispronouncing that athletic Buffalo writer piece talking about like so we saw some Jack Eichel trade rumors popping up. And basically the thesis of the piece was like these are not going away anytime soon. Like they, this is only going to get worse. For How can they go away? He's 24 and they haven't even gotten close to the playoffs. And honest to God, it doesn't look like they're anywhere near it either. Like yeah, this like team needs what two more years of hitting on picks to actually be a good team that looks like a, a playoff contender in the Atlantic. Yeah. And if you're Jack Eichel, you're sitting there looking at their draft history and going, what picks have they hit on? Oh, me, I was super freaking obvious at number two. And after that, God, it's terrible. Yeah, it's like Sam Reinhardt, I guess. And Sam Reinhardt's 25. He was before Eichel. He's six years ago now. And then it's like, well, you know, they have some guys who look good, but again, like Middlestat looked all right. But, you know, like, and they had who was Dylan Cousins is a guy right now who, you know, he started with the team. I think they, I think they sent him down. Um, if I'm not, or maybe he's just on the taxi spot, but he had three points in nine games this year. But it's like, like, where's the help coming? You know, they have some good prospects, but it's not like they just have this absolute flooding of guys where it's like, oh yeah, this is amazing. And they've won a lottery and come second in another one. And they're still just absolute dog. Like they suck. It's not like the LA Kings where it's like, okay, we have Quinton Byfield, who's like an absolute blue chip stud, maybe the best prospect on the NHL right now coming, plus plenty of other depth prospects. Like it's not like they have this amazing prospect pool either. Yeah, no, like the Kings can both boast Turcotte and Kaliev, you know, uh, even Tyler Madden's 21, Akil Thomas, you know, they just, they have so many guys, especially up front there where it's like Kale Clagg on the back end, you know, I don't know if he's going to be a difference maker necessarily, but they just have so many guys where it's like, oh yeah, like we have like difference makers coming and it's like, oh, we got Dylan Cousins, hopefully he shows up and and does something good, you know, like let, let the fingers crossed, right? But, and it's like, they, they also have, uh, uh, did they draft... JJ Paterka as well. Like he's an okay prospect. Um, yeah, they drafted him 34th overall. Like it's not like they have nothing, but it's just like where how many years, how many more years of Eichel spinning tires do you need to have before it's like, yeah, get him out of there? And um, uh, you know, even just like they picked up uh I think it was was it uh, Jack Quinn was their pick in the in the top of the draft and you know, Marco Rossi went one one spot after Cole Perfetti went after, you know, so it's, it's just it's really I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see. That's for sure. Yeah, it's pretty ugly. Poor Buffalo fans. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a market that just sticks with their team forever, too. Right. Like they've been bad for so long, but they still boast some of the best ratings in the league. Yeah, exactly. And they're like just like a huge hockey powerhouse of a city. Like if you look at the Stanley cup final ratings, say this year, it's like Pittsburgh and Vegas. I don't even know if that's possible, but like the top three ratings for cities in America will be Pittsburgh, Vegas, and then Buffalo. Like that's just the clockwork. Like they just love hockey there. It's too bad. Exactly. Also anything's possible in this year's playoffs. As long as they're not in the same division, they can make it. Oh, 
funky. Yeah, it's just the top four once they get to it. So whoever, so it's a, it, like Toronto could make it all the way to cup finals and face Boston. That is my, I think, dream to just see kind of. But um, last thing I want to touch on, we had a great question from one of our listeners, uh, Jay Bauer. Uh, he asked on Twitter, um, he, he said, thought experiment for the next podcast, who's the best player team would trade for Crosby and that Pittsburgh would actually accept? Uh, and then he follows that up by saying, who says no to a Marner for tra- Crosby trade? Um so let's get into this. This is, uh, I, I thought this was a great question. I'm not gonna lie. I, I really like this idea. Uh, I didn't put a ton of thought into the first part, but I, I wanted to get your opinion on the Marner for Crosby stuff. As weird as it sounds, like my only problem, I think for a Marner for Crosby thing is obviously you got the age. So pretty much the, the idea is some team is going to get a guy who is much older, probably theoretically better than the player he's trading for right now. But you know, you run the risk of how many more years is it going to be better and uh, in the Marner case, you know, uh, Toronto actually somehow acquiring Crosby gives them more cap space, which is kind of freaking hilarious. But um, the idea would pretty much be like you kind of you, you upgrade your team for a year or two, maybe three. But obviously, in the long run, Pittsburgh gets the uh, more valuable player over an eight year career or whatever. Right. Yeah, this is this is a really tough one, because usually when you're trading a player of Crosby's caliber, like you're kind of hoping to find a team that's in like all in win now mode that's willing to sacrifice the future. And like Toronto's definitely in win now mode, but I'm not sure they're quite that extreme into it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think, I think Pittsburgh would say yes to this. Uh, Pittsburgh says yes. And Toronto says no. As weird I as it sounds. think so as well. And my reasoning behind it is also a little bit just because I'm not sure, you know, obviously you know, how much does Toronto want to, Will, but also like Toronto trading, maybe you bump Tavares to the wing or Crosby to the wing. Either one of those seems like a silly idea just talking about it, but like it's it's not impossible. But like, because you just, you can't run Crosby, Tavares, Matthews down the middle. Like, like no, I mean, you could, you could, and Tavares would be the best 3C in the league has ever seen. But like, it just, it feels like a, it feels maybe like it'd be a bit of a waste of, I don't know. It's just such an interesting thought experiment, you know, because like if you have Crosby playing with like two guys who, you know, if you take, let's, so you go Matthews, you know, he's going to play with, let's say Hyman and uh, put someone on his right wing. I don't know. I'm blanking on some Mikheyev. Sure. Let's go yeah. And then you put Crosby, you know, Crosby can drag his own line mates, but let's put like Thornton and Nick Robertson there or something like that. <laughs> And then you have Tavares Nylander on your third line, or maybe that's your second line, and Crosby is on your third line. Like, that would be so silly. Oh, it would be hilarious. Although, this is weird because, like, four months ago, Toronto's problem was, wow, we have way too many just, like, scoring wingers. They don't have the wing depth to do that. Yeah, exactly. Like, that, <laughs> that's the biggest thats the biggest issue, right? It's like maybe if they still had, like, the captain and the onsons, I'd feel a little bit better, but – I don't know. Like I go because it feels so stupid to say a team that's looking for a cup in the next couple of years is saying no to Sidney Crosby. But like, I don't know. Yeah, I think in general, like, so I think Crosby's great. I had him super high on our center's rankings. He's been like my favorite player for most of my life. But like, he's 33, and Marner is a 22-year-old winger who is scoring at like well over a point per game like 
you just kind of, even though Crosby is better today, you're not that likely to win the cup this year, even with Crosby. So you're better off with the Marner asset. And we've seen Pittsburgh and Washington do this. If you take a 15 year period and you keep running a great team into the playoffs, like you're probably going to win eventually. I think that's kind of how I look at it too. And before, you know, someone goes, how, how on earth can you say Marner's better than Crosby or whatever? Not at all what we're saying. We're just saying, given age and the um, amount of time this team should want to compete for, it probably makes more sense. Like if you look six years in the future, the final six years here, you're probably getting more out of Marner for six years than you are for Crosby of three, you know? Exactly. And the wildest thing is given Crosby's age, they both have five years left and Marner's like $2 million more expensive. I bet you over the five years, Marner has more war left in him and a better war or a cheaper war per dollar. Probably like just because it's just, and like, again, this isn't a slight on sin, but the dude's going to be like 38 when his contract's done. Yeah, exactly. Like when he's a two C at 38 and Marner's like the second runner up in the R Ross trophy voting. Like that's just such an aggressive mismatch when your team could have, could have still had that kind of a player. Yeah, exactly. Right. And it's like, again, like there's no slight against Sid here. It's, it's honestly incredible that we're even considering like, cause Marner's a top 10 winger in the league. It's honestly inc- incredible. We're considering it's even like a legitimate thought process that you would trade him for a dude 11 years older than him, but that is just how good Crosby is. Yeah. And he's been amazing this year. I had one idea as a team that I think's a little more win now that could think about this trade. Hit me with They're it. in the division. So this would never happen, but Barzell. That's a, that's a good one. Yeah. Because I, I think the long-term future is way worse for obvious reasons in the Long Island. Like this is as good as they're going to get. Yeah. I, I could definitely see the management talking themselves into something like that too, where it's like, yeah, like we're going or this is our window right now. Let's go for it. I, you know, but yeah, I, I think Pittsburgh might riot if they sent Sid to Long Island, but that, yeah, like, just in terms of if you take that away, I definitely don't disagree with that. Yeah, because it would obviously never happen with division rival. But I think that's, like, the kind of player that you would consider. And it's tough because not many teams like the Islanders have a Barzell-level player and are kind of just all in at this point. I was trying to think of how to make it work in Tampa, but the only guy I would say going back the other way would be Braden Point. And Again, like I don't mean this as slight on Crosby, but 24-year-old point at 6.75 mil. I, I almost and he also plays center is the issue. I almost don't know if they'd want to just move off of him one for one, you know? Yeah, I, I don't think Tampa would do that for the same reason as Marner, except for points better than Marner and cheaper and plays center. Yeah. And then other than that, like I'm just trying to think of other teams that are truly in a win now mode. And just, like if Marner really was a Washington capital again the divisions would be a huge problem but like just on paper that would be the perfect kind of thing what about Nick Suzuki from Montreal see if I'm the pens I, I need more than that but there could there'd be some there there a package around Nick Suzuki yeah yeah I could see that or like even Cockney maybe I don't know like I, I don't really know take your pick of which one you like more Cockney a year younger higher pedigree but Suzuki's like damn good over the past year and a bit yeah, would you but, who would rather there? I'd probably a Suzuki. I think I don't, I don't really know. I haven't looked into it enough, I think, but like I don't that's a good question. Like that's a that's a tough one, I think. Because like yeah, the thing is 
You this gotta problem, like Pittsburgh. Oh yeah, go ahead, sir. This problem for Pittsburgh is like there's the Marners of the world, which are like sure thing. Marners like a hundred point threat for like multiple years, and then there's that next tier of players where it's like Suzuki's good now and like might be great, but it's pretty tough to trade Crosby when the for a guy who might be great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But he also might be a two C or something like that, you know. Yeah, exactly. I think I would still take Kakniemi actually. Just because I, I think he's, you know, the, the year younger and just how, I don't know. I, I try, you know, at some point you got to just cut bait with that what, where he was picked, right? Like you can't just keep saying always oh, a high draft pick, so he must be good. But like just the pedigree that he had compared to, not like Suzuki was a bad player or anything like that. Like he was a top end prospect in the trade, right? But, um, you know, he was picked 13th overall in 2017 versus third overall, you know, and, I don't know. Like it's been a mixed bag. Suzuki was definitely better last year. Kakniemi was a disaster last year. Kakniemi actually played two years ago and Suzuki didn't. And Kakniemi looked good. And this year they've been roughly equal. You know, Kakniemi's underlying numbers have looked a little better, but I think Suzuki's actual numbers have been slightly better. So I I don't think you could go wrong picking either one of them, but. Yeah, I could see something like that. Montreal would be a good one, especially with the Shea Weber and Carey Price contracts they would make a ton of sense to just shove their chips in the middle and say like, let's go for this. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, and like just the, the fit of Crosby growing up a Habs fan is there obviously as well, but it would be it's definitely a really interesting question. Cause it's a thought process. Cause it's like every team would love Sidney Crosby on their team, obviously, but like how many teams actually does it make sense for and can give a return that the team would actually want? Because um, like, even for like, you know, especially a one for one. Like, I don't even like, I think there would be enough people who would argue that if you're trading Marner for Crosby, the Leafs should add something. And I don't know if I agree with that or not, but I would not be shocked if that was a general consensus just based on, you know, the name value of every player. Like you're, you're trading the best player a generation has seen. Yeah. Well, I think the vast majority of people would expect Toronto to add something, even though we'd both probably lean no to just the one for one there. Yeah, I, I think so as well. Um, you know, Colorado was the other one, I think. But I, I just, again, I don't know who they give up. Like, they, it's kind of like maybe like ranting in for Crosby. Yeah, but, something like that. But that's that's tough. Like, I think it's weird because, like, on the one hand, trading Crosby for a maybe is, like, sounds really, really stupid. But on the other, like, if you're trading Crosby, you need to get somebody back who will like be able to be a franchise player. And Rantanen's great. Like, what about Bo Byram? That'd be an interesting one. That'd be a Again, really I, good one. I don't know if Colorado fans would like that. Well, I, I, I go back and forth because imagine McKinnon and Crosby on the same team, dude. Like, that would be ridiculous. And the defense court still be good, but like Bowen Byron's playing first line minutes right now as a 19 year old already. Like he's going to be a stud for years to come and he's not even the best defenseman on their team. Like, yeah, they have plenty of good defensemen that I could work, but uh, that would be an interesting one too. I, I think those are, I think maybe Toronto is an interesting thought, but Toronto, Montreal, Colorado, um, who else? Oh, and, and the Islanders. I think that's a pretty, pretty good four teams that I could see, you know, at least, at least where it's like, you could make an argument for both sides. It doesn't mean it has to happen, but there's an argument there for like a player to, to build around. Right. For sure. As like a general roster building management perspective, I actually think the capitals make the most sense, but like, 
that would just never happen. And I was gonna say kind of the same thing the, too, right? Yeah. Like, like what 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 is Washington sent back? Yeah, that's the problem. If Washington had like I don't if Washington had like Kotkaniemi in the system, like they're the kind of team that would make so much sense, but like they don't have anything to come close to Crosby's value to send back. No, like they got Connor McMichael, I think is probably their best prospect. Um yeah. and then and I think Hen- Hendrick Lapierre is not bad either. I mean, yeah, he was their first round pick this year. So it's like you would probably have to send, but it's just like, then you're going to have to find shed salary somehow here too. Cause it's not like uh, the capitals are loaded with cap space, but Kuznets uh, basically has to go the other way. Yeah, I think so. Which I, I think that is fine. Or like, I don't know, maybe you send even just like a Lars Eller and someone the other way, Lars Eller and Richard panic, but it it's just one of those it's like a cap dump. And then obviously you're going to have to send picks and prospects back, but yeah, that would just never happen either because it's like, there's no way in hell that the Pittsburgh Penguins are trading Sidney Crosby to the Washington Capitals. No, that that's just, they don't even consider that even though given like the Capitals window, I think they're the team that makes the most sense in the entire. Yes. League. The Capitals could offer them like their next nine first round picks. And I just think because of how much they value, uh, not trading to your rivals or whatever, especially your best players to your rivals. I, I just, I honestly don't think Pittsburgh would do it, but. Yeah. Like if they got an extra first and second round pick out of Washington and there was like an equivalent trade in the Western conference, they're taking the Western conference deal. I'm pretty that, certain of that. Absolutely. 100%. Um, that was a pretty good episode. You know, we went a little long, but that's okay. Lots to talk about. Uh, thank you everyone for listening. Uh, Chase, plug your, your article that came out this week. Uh, uh, yeah, go ahead. So I wrote about the Leafs consistency and how they're the most inconsistent team in the league. And that did pretty well. And then there was some William Nylander slander. <laughs> I mean, you're right. That's, um, the other day. So I wrote about how William Nylander is not one of the culprits here. He's actually just as consistent as you would expect, given the quality of player that he is. And you can check that out on last word. Yep. Uh, go check out uh, all the stuff on lastwordandhockey.com and some great analysis coming out. I'm going to try and get a piece out maybe this week too. I've been, I don't know, I just kind of slumped with writing, but uh, I've done some stuff for milehighhockey.com uh, and last word on gaming. I've been doing a little bit uh, more too, just some small stuff, but yeah, if you want to follow me, you can follow me on Twitter at NHL Sends and stuff. You can follow Chase on Twitter at CMHockey66. Thank you everyone for listening and we'll talk to you all next week.